This is Ed Stetzer Live. This and every Saturday, we have the privilege of having conversations about the moment, the culture, the context, and ultimately our mission. And today is a pre-recorded episode. I tell you that not because it's not awesome. It actually is awesome. It's going to be a great conversation today, but because we can't take your calls. And there is a bit of an irony of the program being called Ed Stetzer Live on days when it's not live. But I didn't pick the name, so let's just move forward from that. So um, so we are, we are pre-recorded, but they give us the opportunity to dive deeper into a topic with an author. And so we're excited about doing that today. Maybe you've looked to the pages of Scripture and maybe someone has said to you, you know, these are written by men uh, hundreds, thousands of years ago that devalued or discounted the role and the participation in the community of women. And maybe you've had questions about that. Maybe maybe you've looked at the pages of Scripture and you see names of them like Paul and, and Timothy and Daniel. And you're like, well, what about some women's names in there? Where, where are the place of women in the pages of Scripture? Is this, uh, this an overlooked group? Is How does that work? How should we think about this? And I think you might find our conversation today interesting. Let me encourage you, if you do, to share this conversation. All these episodes of Ed Stetzer Live, uh, of course, we broadcast live on Saturdays, but you can also find them on podcast, and you can go to edstetzerlive.com. Subscribe at any time so you never miss an episode. So let me introduce our guest today. Joyce Koo Dalrymple is a ministry leader, speaker, and podcast host. She leads Refuge for Strength, a women's ministry focused on spiritual formation and listening to God in community. She also helps lead a house church called Church 360 in the Wheaton, Illinois area, and she and her husband, Tim, have three daughters. We happen to be friends. We live, we lived on the same street when we lived in Wheaton, and so we're appreciative of them and their friendship. They adopted their youngest from China, and Joyce also hosts a podcast related to adoption called Adopting Hope about foster, adoptive, and spiritual parenting. Joyce, you are my last interview. We borrowed the studio of the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center. You're my last interview in Illinois. So thanks oh for taking the time. Oh my goodness. I am delighted to be here and just honored that this is, I feel like it's almost an historic moment to do this in the studio <laughs> with you, Ed, before you move. I know, it's so, crazy. Well, it's interesting. So glad we could squeeze yeah, it in. Because we were, um, you know, I, I, found, I found out, I don't remember, I didn't know how I found out about your book. Maybe we were talking about something else, but I found out about the book. Oh, mm-hmm. I remember what it was, because I was thinking there was a church asking me about something. Anyway, long story short, and I found out the book and I said, I want to talk to Joyce mm. in the studio live. It's it's always fine. We, we had a wonderful program. We actually, just before our conversation, we had Sheila Walsh on. Great program. She talked, and people can always go to edcetralive.com. Uh, but there's always something about being in the same room, in the same studio. And you were a broadcast TV journalist. Oh, you? in a former life. In a former I've life. had several former lives before I became a pastor. I was a journalist yeah. and then an attorney. Yep. And then um, went to seminary just eight years ago, wow. and um, I was already a mother of two, um, you know, going on three at that point, and um, had a career change and went to seminary. Wow. Um, and it was then that I discovered these amazing women yeah. in the New Testament, which is the which is what the book is about. Yeah, journalist, broadcast journalist, uh, attorney. You you have have had a fascinating <laughs> life. So let's talk about this. First of all, a little context. So yes. so this is part of a series. And Nav Press, our friends at Nav Press, we're super thankful for Nav Press. It, at Moody Radio, and lot, they do lots of great work. They, they have this series um, with over 2.5 million copies sold. Now, your book didn't might, might have sold <laughs> 2.4 million of those. I don't know. No, 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 no. But, That's the whole series. Yeah, it's, um, a, it's an amazing series. You know, really I mean, is. Donna and I just early on were shaped by Nav Press. I've done a lot of things mm. with them. I love the work they do. So you wrote for them this study. It's called Women of the New Testament. And so um, why, why, why that topic? Because I kind of set it up a little bit that you might assume that 
it's all men writing and recorded in the pages of Scripture. So why 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 women in the New Testament? This is really born from my own kind of wrestling with God. Mm-hmm. Um, when I went to seminary, I was the only woman in my class. I had um, all male professors, mm-hmm. and I was kind of, to be honest, like struggling with imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. And so I was wondering, um, do I belong? Um, has God called me? Um, I didn't see that many people who looked like me. And for your listeners who can't see me, I am a Chinese-American woman. My parents are immigrants. Um, and I didn't see a whole lot of people who looked like me, um, women who were ministry leaders. Um, and so I went back to Scripture. I wanted to see how does God see me? That's really the root question. How does God see me? And when I went back to Scripture, I studied every single interaction that Jesus had with a woman in the Gospels. And I was kind of, I won't, I don't want to use the word shocked, but I saw this pattern of how Jesus went out of his way um, and made women feel seen and known, um, empowered them, commended for their faith. Um, and they were often examples for the male disciples in their faith. Um, and they all played pivotal roles um, in advancing the kingdom of God. And so um, it was really... Um, my own study of these Bible passages that minister to me in a time when I deeply needed to kind of be affirmed in my own call for ministry mm. and then wanting to share that with others that this book came out. Yeah. And it's interesting because we read those things and we see the uh, participation of women as disciples. We see, I mean, we see Jesus speaking to his own mother, you know, blessed are you among women, uh, you know, and there's, there's so much, but, when you think of like the pages of the New Testament written 2,000 years ago, then it would be shocking. I mean, today yes. it's maybe surprising to people in my web of the Bible it doesn't have that, but it would be stunning and shocking 2,000 years ago. It is radical. Yeah. Like this, um, it was a very much a patriarchal society. Mm-hmm. And so I think the, the story that pops in my mind is Mary of Bethany sitting at Jesus's feet, learning from him as a disciple, what you would sit at um, your teacher's feet. And um, Martha was actually chiding her. And the the expectation socially would be for her to be in the kitchen, helping mm-hmm. Martha serve the food. And what does Jesus say? Mm-hmm. He, um, he says, Mary has chosen the better thing. It won't be taken away from her. And so he was basically affirming her desire to be a disciple mm-hmm. of him and learn the scriptures and theology and all of those things that Jesus was teaching. Um and you see Mary each time in Scripture. Actually, he, she's sitting at his feet um, each time she appears in Scripture, um, actually falling at his feet when his her brother Lazarus dies and weeping. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Like she's at his feet in a worshipful, lamenting way. And then the last time she appears in Scripture, she is sitting at his feet, anointing him, preparing him for burial, worshiping him. She had experienced, I think, being a disciple of Jesus in a way that shaped her into a, such a worshiper of God in every circumstance of her life, and even being able to, at the last moment, really anointing him um, and preparing him for going to the cross. Mm-hmm. Um, she got it, you know? So um, I think these women are just, when you see what they're doing, countercultural, um, kind of against the social norm, and then Jesus kind of affirming and commending them um, for their faith. It is it is so radical. Yeah, and, and you know, it's there's always a sense that 
uh, people can be uh, background characters. Mm-hmm. And some people might make the assumption that women are background characters in the New Testament. You mentioned being a patriarchal society, so going to be particularly led, influenced, dominated by men. But women are far more than background characters oh, yeah. here. So you go through and you've got actually eight sessions here that, that you, you, you walk through. This is, and for those of you who don't know, this is, this is a Bible study. And it's available from Nav Press. Again, it's called Women of the New Testament. And 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 you're literally just encountering these women mm-hmm. of the New Testament. So so in what ways are they forefront characters rather than background characters of the story? Does that make sense, my question? Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, well, starting with the first session, um, Mary and Elizabeth are the two women featured in session one of this Bible study. And it's um, the opening of the book of Acts, I mean, Luke, <laughs> excuse me, um, Luke centers the story around the women. Um, Elizabeth is in her advanced age, pregnant with John the Baptist. Um, and that's miraculous in and of itself because she was barren and elderly. Um, and then, of course, you have the angel Gabriel appearing to Mary um, and Mary, you know, being the mother of Jesus, like that's this, that's the opening of the book of Luke. Hmm. Um, and then what I focused on in this study is how Mary and Elizabeth, when they meet, there's something, um, there's something special that happens in that. Um, and when, and I think in women, when we experience this, it's sort of like God is doing a new thing mm-hmm. in our life. He may be birthing something new in us. It's very vulnerable when mm-hmm. it's something new. Other people don't see it. Um, it might feel even miraculous, like a breakthrough that you've been praying for for a long time or unexpected even. But um, when you're in a company of a woman, you can speak words of truth to you mm-hmm. at that point and affirm what God is doing in you. Um, something special happens. It's a deeply encouraging thing. Um, and that I actually want that that tone to be what this Bible study is about when you gather together in Bible study, you share something vulnerable that God is doing, that we can deeply encourage the work of God inside of us. Um, and that's it's only then that Mary actually sings the Magnificat, mm-hmm. um, prophetic words um, of the New Testament. Um, and it's only after she gets that, that um, encouragement from Elizabeth that she sings the Magnificat. Um, so, and yeah. a beautiful, I mean, it's a prayer of Mary yes. and something that we have recorded. My soul proclaims the goodness of the Lord, mm-hmm. the grace of the Lord, my spirit is my God, my Savior. I mean, so much space given to that beautiful song prayer uh, as well. It's in Luke, it's Luke, found more than one spot, but Luke chapter one. Mm-hmm. So um, it's interesting to me that Mary plays such a significant role. Now, again, uh, you and I are Protestants. We're evangelical Protestants for that matter. We tend not to, we get nervous sometimes about Mary being elevated because we've seen, or maybe our Catholic friends are like, we well, don't want to elevate Mary too high. But the Bible elevates Mary pretty high. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, the, the Jesus elevates Mary pretty high. And mm-hmm. and so what a wonderful thing to study Mary right at the beginning. So it's mm-hmm. Mary and Elizabeth right mm-hmm. at the beginning who are so central to the gospel story, to a story of trusting Christ, of obedience, of, of faithful service. I mean, Mary's a great example for us to follow and not to be nervous that elevating her too high. I mean, again, I don't think for most Protestants that's even an issue. Right. I totally agree. And we see, I mean, this is, we focus on Mary as the pregnant Mary in right. the very beginning of the story, but as if in the study, but if we trace Mary kind of throughout, she's there obviously at the cross when Jesus dies. Um, And she's actually mentioned in Acts chapter one in the upper room 
when the disciples are kind of waiting for the Spirit, Jesus has already ascended, they're waiting for the Holy Spirit to come, and they're just in the room praying. They mention that Mary and the other women are there waiting. Mm -hmm. And then when the Pentecost comes and the Spirit comes, Mary is right there at the birth of the early church, at the the birth of the church. So she's there at the birth of Jesus, obviously, because she's the mother. And she's there at the birth of the um, beginnings Mm -hmm. of the church. She sees it all, you know, like a continuation of Jesus's life. I mean, she's there for all of it. And when you think how that must have, um, how she must have shaped Jesus and how Jesus shaped her, um, she's both the mother of Jesus and a disciple of Jesus. Powerful. We're going to continue our conversation with Joyce Poo Dalrymple in just a moment. We're talking about women of the New Testament, both as facts, but also as a new resource by Nav Press called Women of the New Testament. Stay with us. We're going to continue our conversation in just a moment. Hey, we're back. It's Stetzer Live. We're talking to Joyce Koo Dalrymple about her new book called Women of the New Testament, part of an amazing series called Life, Life Change. It's an Press Bible study series with over 2.5 million copies sold of the series. Not necessarily Joyce Koo Dalrymple, but if you go right now and get a copy, we could get to at least a million. And it's, <laughs> and it's good stuff. I mean, this is a Bible study. Now, it's interesting, too. Um, this is a Bible study about women but I'm going somewhere with this, so hold, stay with me. Because right now we're moving. We're like selling everything. And we just had a discussion. We've got our whole Beth Moore Bible study box. And we just had a discussion about, because most of it have digitally now. So what do we do with these boxes of Bible study curriculum? So, But Beth was very much, Beth wrote Bible studies for women. She still does. That's her, that's her focus. That's what she feels God's call is. This is a Bible study about women that's not just for women as well. That's yes. it. Why is it important that men and women learn about the women of the New Testament? Well, you know, I think that we miss out as the full body of the church when we're not— um, we're only studying, you know, the men or the women are only studying the women, um, we can learn so much from one another. And the same thing about like learning from different Bible teachers who are both men and women. And I think women tend to listen to both men and women um, teachers, but sometimes men um, have their primary sources, whether that's authors or Bible teachers or pastors be only men. So I think um I think that they will, like, men will really get something from this um, in an encouraging way to see, like, how Jesus um, empowered the women, not just in, in his time and in the early church, but today as well, and how the the church today can benefit from women um, who have been called and gifted using their gifts in the church for the full body of the mm-hmm. church, too. Good. And I, I would just say that um, I think it's important for us to listen to different voices to learn. And and the reality is, if it was surprising to you as a woman, as you studied these things, yes. even this, you know, then then I think for for all of us, we need to go on that journey, learn. And this is one way you could do so is through women of the New Testament. And the subtitle is Disciples of Jesus Love and Lead in Ways that Challenge Cultural Norms and Transform Community. From the good folks at Nav Press that many of you know already. Okay, so we, we talked a little bit, and we're just going to go through. Now, I, you don't you can't see what I see, but I'm holding a copy of the book right here. And you kind of read, you have the introduction, and then after that, you have sections that people sort of respond to. You it, you write in the book. You've, everyone's seen, like, study books like that. You write 
in the book, uh, in the books. So, so when you come, you go past um, the beginning section, which talks about Mary and Elizabeth, and I was intrigued. And you have to talk about the Samaritan woman, but it's also interesting too that we call her the Samaritan woman. She's not named. She is not named in the New Testament. But I would think that if anyone has studied any basic New Testament, they know about the Samaritan woman. So what do we know and what do we do not know about this woman? Mm, you know, there's some things about her past that people assume about her that may or may not be true. Because it's not listed in the text, yes, right? Yes, it's like silent in the text. But the fact that um, some scholars have made much of how she went to the well at noon mm-hmm. and say that she must be an outcast mm-hmm. because women went in the... Um, as a group, perhaps, in the early morning hours when it was not as hot. Um, and then um, and then there's other commentators more recently, like Lynn Kohick, who has said, no, like the fact that um, it mentions that it was noon is more of an emphasis on, well, Jesus was thirsty and it was hot and there happened to be this woman here. It's not a, a, a comment on her character or her background necessarily. And then the fact that when she went back to her village to spread the news of you know, I, could this be the Messiah? Come and see. Um, people listened to her. So if it was an outcast who people really didn't listen to, why would all these people believe her, first of all, and come to faith in him or come to see Jesus and hear Jesus for himself? Um, so that's part of something that I I learned that maybe we were seeing her through a particular lens that may or may not be true. Um, and then um, she, you know, when you look at each, this is, the, by the way, the longest recorded conversation in the Bible that Jesus has with anybody is with this yeah. woman. Yep. Um, and he kind of sends the disciples away because maybe the disciples won't get it because this is the first time that Jesus is actually, like the gospel is going to spread to the non-Jewish people. The Samaritans were this mixed race intermarriage with um, Jews and Gentiles. Um, and so the gospel here, it's a it's kind of a pivotal moment in history is being spread for the first time to um, non-Jewish people. And he uses a Samaritan woman to do this. Yeah, And we did um, say that is like so huge. Uh, yes, it is so And huge. it's almost, you know, the disciples weren't, you mean disciples aren't, almost because people would have just almost revolted at that idea at the, you can't do that. You can't do that. You can't it's talk shocking. to her. Exactly. Yes. Let alone have her be a, one who would spread the gospel. Yes. It's so radical. But this was Jesus's plan. This was the plan that God had from the beginning, you know, all the way back in Genesis, um, Genesis 12 with Abraham, you will be a blessing to all the nations. Like it was, this was part of his mission from the very beginning. And we see this in John 4 with the Samaritan woman. He is on mission and the Samaritan woman gets his mission. He doesn't even have to officially commission her to go to tell the people in her village. She does it on her own, which I think is amazing in and of itself. And he has to kind of unpack and explain what he's doing step by step to the disciples when they come back from searching for food. Um, They're like, hey, have you had anything to eat, Jesus? And Jesus says, I have food that to Mm -hmm. eat that you have not, you have, you have no idea um, and his food to do, is to do the will of God. And here you see the will of God is is this harvest among the Samaritans. Yeah, by the way, you mentioned Lynn Coick, who happens to be one of my good friends. Yes. And we actually would dog sit her, her dog and, and hang out. We actually had a podcast together for a while. Oh. Uh, uh, yeah, for Theology for Life. And yeah. I miss that. We served together at Wheaton. She's at Houston Christian now. Uh, and I'm, we were both at Wheaton, and now I'm at uh, Biola University. But you might, if you're interested in more uh, diving way deeper into a scholar level, her book, Women in the World of the Earliest Christians, Illuminating Ancient Ways of Life, is sort of, a, it's changed a lot of people's ideas mm-hmm. about, you were just mentioning 
the Samaritan woman, and maybe it's not so bad she was there at noon. She had a big influence and more. Okay, so come back and tell us a little more about the Samaritan woman, because, I mean, the idea of her being unclean by definition of being a Samaritan, mm-hmm. we sort of touched on that a little bit, but Jesus is is do, is breaking social norms, uh, engaging a woman conversation, teaching her theology here at yes. the well, uh, speaking to her situation. A lot of times, all people take away from this is that he confronted her. You've got, you know, you're married a bunch of times and you're bad. And, right. But there's so right. much more that goes on in this longest conversation right. with Jesus. Ever. Tell us more about it. Right. Well, one of the key moments in this long conversation is the Samaritan woman, you know, she she has kind of a gradual revelation. Um, first, she's like, you must be a prophet. Um, and, um, and But you guys, she sees it kind of funny. Yeah. Sir, yeah. I perceive that you're a prophet. Yeah, <laughs> and it's because she has... The, 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 how Jesus is pointing out her, her marital history, right, right. it actually, it's not in a condemning way, yeah. you know, because when you're, when you feel shame and condemnation, you turn away, you turn away from Jesus. Here she turns even more, like her curiosity is piqued. And I think it's because she's, she feels known and seen in a way, um, that's actually attractive and draws her into Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I think part of that is, um, Jesus is offering her living water. That's so good. And um, that living water, that eternal life, he's offering knowing her whole past. Yep. You know, so when you are known, like all of your past mistakes, all of your weaknesses, all of your sin, and you are still accepted and you are still welcomed, um, that is actually what's very life-changing. And that's what's happening, I think, here in this conversation. She feels... Um, loved and known by mm. Jesus. Mm. Um, and then the the theological conversation continues because she's like, hey, where do you go to worship? Right. We Samaritans worship on Mount Gerizim, and you all, Jews, worship in Jerusalem. That was a high point of contention um, between the Samaritans and Jews. Right. Like, this wasn't like, your church baptized babies no, no, no. in ours. This, this was, was like huge. Yes. Stuff, yeah. I mean, they like, I think there was one historical instance where um, the Jews burned down the temple on top of Mount Gerizim, and it has not been rebuilt yeah, to this yeah. day. Um, and then the Samaritans snuck in and like defiled um, the temple in Jerusalem. Like this was all out, like kind of like you said, war. Um, and so she's asking this question. Like I think it's a, it's we sometimes are like, why it seems so irrelevant, but it's actually a very deep theological question. And Jesus's answer is sort of like, look, it's like place is irrelevant. Um, now what I'm, I, you were anybody who worships me, worships me in spirit and truth. That's the kind of worshiper that I seek. It's no longer about a place. And when you think about it, when Jesus comes, we're worshiping the person of Jesus, not, a, not going to a temple. And, um, this is actually another, um, like breakthrough, um, thing that it's like before it was just the Jews who could worship. And now it's like, no. All people, regardless of whether you're Jew or Gentile, male or female, slave or free, as it says in Galatians, we can all worship Jesus. Um, And it's like all of those, when you picture the temple in Jerusalem, there's like the Holy of Holies in the very center. And then there's the court for just the Jews and then the outer court for Gentiles. There's a separate place for women, a separate place for men. Jesus is breaking all of those down. Like, And when he went to the cross, literally the curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple, it was torn in two. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't just symbolic of like, it's like the deeper theological meaning is that like worship now is going to change forever. You come and worship me with spirit and truth and faith. Like, 
like you can worship me anytime, anywhere, because the spirit of the Holy Spirit is going to come in you. Um, and so this is like him explaining this for the first time in scripture, like worship is going to change um, and, and, and you can come worship and now me. now it's not geographic. It's, yeah. it's, it's going to be because of the freeing power of the Holy Spirit. It's not. And, and all this changes in a conversation with a woman whose name we still do not know. Amazing. Isn't that amazing? He's telling this to a woman who, um, yeah, a Samaritan woman who's, like you said, like she's just drawing, she's just going about her day, yep, yep. you know, drawing water at the well. And then we we forever are changed by the story, too, as we delve into it, like the significance of it, right? Yeah, so. we still, I mean, phrases like living water and all these things, these come from this conversation, and you might not even be aware of that, yet... Jesus chooses these encounters. The Holy Spirit inspires the gospel writers to include, because there's lots of things that took place that we don't have recorded, but the Holy Spirit inspired these things to be included in the scripture because we're learning something from the encounter, but the encounter itself teaches us something, and that it's even the shocking value that Jesus placed on women 2,000 years ago as well. We're going to continue our conversation in just a moment. We're with Joyce Koo Dalrymple. We're talking about her new book, part of the NavPress Life Change series. It's called Women of the New Testament. One of the things we did mention, I mentioned Lynn Coick is a, is a friend of both of ours and a scholar that's kind of written on some of these things about the early Christian women and more. But there's lots to learn as well. And if you pick up this study, there's resources that are cited throughout the notes you can follow along with there as well. Because I think you'll find it kind of a pretty fascinating conversation. And I think it's a good thing that we're noticing people in different contexts and different ways as well. So we're going to continue our conversation with Joyce Kudal-Rimple in just a moment. I want to remind you, this is a pre-recorded episode, so I imagine you want to call, but you can't right now. But we're going to continue our conversation in just a moment. We're going to continue to work through some of the women in the New Testament. I can't think of a better way to talk about women in the New Testament than discussing the women in the New Testament. So stay with us as we continue our conversation about women in the New Testament with Joyce Kudal-Rimple. Thanks for listening. Having a great conversation today on Ed Stetzer Live with Joyce Koo Dalrymple, who's written uh, part of the Life Change Study Series at NavPress. She's written, written, written. I was looking at the women, the W, so it's written, uh, written, Women of the New Testament. Don't try to say that five times fast, but she's written a new helpful study called Women of the New Testament. We're actually talking about some of the women of the New Testament, and hopefully the, the men and women who are listening are being encouraged because, again, um, Jesus actually has these encounters. The Holy Spirit inspires the writers of Scripture to include these encounter, encounters in our text of the Scripture. And there's things for us to learn. There's there's what Jesus specifically says that we're going, okay, great, this is important, living water and these things. But to whom he says it matters and how they respond matters. And that's what we do when we do a Bible study. We look a little deeper. And that's what women of the New Testament does. It looks a little deeper into some of these conversations. And again, Joyce, we're coming up now to... Uh, the bleeding women. And you're kind of taking these through chronologically. Mm-hmm. And of course, Mary, you know, goes throughout, but we first meet her at the beginning. But we come to the bleeding women and you use the text, Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. We don't have time to read it all, but tell us a little bit about her story and let's walk through it. Mm, she's a woman that I think many of us can relate to. She was bleeding for 12 years. And um, 12 is a number of completeness. Mm-hmm. you know. Um, and there's things that we've been praying for. Maybe it's for our children. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you have a wayward child who you just don't see the change in, but you continue to parent and pray. 
Um, and, and this woman had tried everything. She spent all of her money. She went to see every single doctor. Instead of getting better, she got worse. And then she hears Jesus is coming to town. Um, and she just has so much faith because, you know, I think about even with COVID, how we had to isolate during that time and it was so difficult socially. Well, if she touched somebody, they would become unclean and would not be able to fully participate um, in re- religious life. Mm-hmm. And so she was probably ostracized for 12 years. Because, and, because part of the thing that maybe not everyone's aware of, uh, in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament laws, um, menstruation mm-hmm. is considered unclean and mm-hmm. a woman would be separated there. And if she's having this issue of blood for 12 years, she's socially distanced, to use the language of the pandemic, for over a decade. Right. And she wouldn't be able to full, to like to participate in the religious community. Right. So imagine not being able to like go to church yeah. and see your friends and worship God for 12 years. Yeah, the depth of her story <laughs> is pretty heartbreaking when yes. you... When you know the background of yes. that, and and again, you 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 unpack a bit of that here as well. And then, I mean, it's interesting too because we this story comes right after another story of a daughter. And then, well, keep you keep unpacking. It. Okay, so Jairus, who's actually a temple leader, so right. he's kind of well known in the community. You know, has a position of power. He comes to Jesus and says, "My daughter is dying. Come." So Jesus is actually on the way to Jairus's house to heal his daughter who also happens to be 12, Mm. Um, the same number of years that the woman had been bleeding. And on the way, this woman, you know, she doesn't even, you know, I can't think of um, another encounter in the Bible where someone is seeking healing but comes from behind. Yeah, it doesn't make, like, she doesn't want to almost be seen. She's she's kind of sneaking in there, and she just touches the hem of his cloak. Um, And we know that phrase. Again, you might not have known... Until this moment, you might, for many people might have known it, but you might have said, oh, touch the hem of his garment. Yeah. This is where that comes from. So much faith for this woman yeah. to just be like, if I could just touch him, I yeah. could be healed. Um, and she does that. Um, she's physically healed, but Jesus um, doesn't let her go. Right. <laughs> Jesus searches for him. And the disciples are kind of like, hey, like there's all these crowds around here. A lot of people could have touched you. Why are you looking for someone who touched you? Um, but he seeks out this woman. And I think that's such an important point because Jesus actually is seeking out someone who is on the margins, who has been su- suffering, probably even, you know, there's the physical suffering of menstruating for 12 years, but there's deeper like social suffering that I right. think that loneliness is even maybe even the the bigger healing. Which could, maybe could describe why she <gasps> snuck up. Yeah. And all that. We don't know. Yeah, yeah we yeah. don't know for sure. But yeah. Um, but the fact that he actually wants to heal her completely, um, like restoring her in front of everybody else would actually restore her socially yeah. in that community. Yeah. Um, and then this what's really remarkable, and we touched on this, how like we don't know some of the names of the women in the Bible. Mm-hmm. We don't know this bleeding woman's name, but he calls her daughter. Yeah, not great. Your faith has healed you. And I kind of think that that, wor- that, that, that name daughter, it's... Um, it defines relationship. Mm-hmm. It defines belonging. It defines wholeness. Um, I actually quote um, Aubrey Sampson, who is a friend of mine and a, a friend writer. of ours, yeah. friend of our graduate of Wheaton College. <laughs> yes, yep, she speaks the, at the Amplify Conference. Um, yeah. So she, in her, um, in one of her books, she writes about this encounter and is like, "You're, you're not. She's no longer defined as the woman having an issue of blood. Yeah, yeah. She's defined in this new way as daughter yeah. in front of everybody else, and she is fully and." Um, healed. You know, Jesus says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Yeah. 
Yeah, one of the things you touch on in the study that we haven't talked about yet is shame. Because, yeah. I mean, clearly shame is, well, maybe clearly is too strong a word, but we're making the assumption there's some shame that's at work here. And yet Jesus speaks into that shame as well. That's right. And I think, um, like, I feel like he does that so beautifully in so many of these stories with women who have been marginalized and unseen by their society. He sees them and he takes away their shame. Right now he's, you know, instead of Jesus becoming unclean when the woman touches him, he's clean. And he makes the woman clean and he takes away her shame. And sometimes we don't think about when Jesus goes to the cross, he not only takes away our sin, um, washes us from sin, but he um, he takes away our shame completely too. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Um, and he's demonstrating that in these stories. You know, this woman wasn't bleeding because of, well, you know, it, it was a shameful thing, um, even though maybe she had done nothing wrong, right. but just that fact made her impure. Okay, let's talk about another woman from another place that is not some place that Jesus would engage, and that's the Canaanites. I mean, the Canaanites are really some of the most vilely opposed people in the Old Testament. That's right. Um, They were, um, I mean, people spoke of them, people wrote of them, people feared them, people engaged them, people went to war with them. And then we have this Canaanite woman. Who is this woman and what is she doing in the pages of the New Testament? Yeah, well, she is also known in Scripture as the Syrophoenician woman Mm -hmm. because she is from Syrian Phoenicia, but she's also known as the Canaanite. She's a Canaanite. And that's, as you mentioned, like they were the morally despised enemies longstanding throughout the Old Testament, you know. Um, So here you have this woman who... um, who has a daughter um, who is, I believe she's demon-possessed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she um, she cries out to Jesus. And this is really Ooh. remarkable what she says when she, she comes to Jesus. She says, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. Um, Jews reserved this title for Jesus because... It's for the Messiah. When right. you say son of David, that means Messiah. Right. So That's a Canaanite like the woman should not be saying those oh, things. Oh, no. Right. The fact that it's coming out of her mouth is like she's recognizing that um, that the kingdom of David is like the rightful mm-hmm. one over this land that they've been like fighting over. Which right? is so, the, the centuries of war. right? Yeah. Right. So that is particularly significant for her to call call him that from the very beginning. And then she's so persistent. And then that's another thing that I feel like um, women, mothers in particular, can relate to if you have a sick child. Right. And this is the Canaanite are... woman is wanting for her daughter. She's yes. Her daughter. She's coming to, to ask Jesus to right. heal her demon-possessed daughter. And um, she just will not let it go, you know. And she um, she's... Jesus kind of turns her away. And we don't really know. This is so curious, this whole encounter um, conversation that Jesus has with her because you're 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 wondering why Jesus is sort of turning her away, and yet um, she persists and shows how her understanding that what what the kingdom of God is for is not just for the Jews, mm-hmm. but for her too, even a Canaanite woman. Mm-hmm. And then Jesus rewards her faith. He says to her, "Woman, you have great faith. Your daughter is healed." And this is actually a very famous uh, encounter with Jesus. There's actually a very famous art that's been painted around this. This is one of the most beautiful stories uh, of the pages of Scripture. There's also a, a very strange exchange that goes on there that I want to. We're going to take a little pause and I want to come back and okay. talk about it because Jesus says, um, "You know," she, she, he says, "I was only sent to." the lost sheep of Israel. Yeah. And then she says, well, you know, help me anyway. You know, I mean, and then Jesus, he, she continues to press and Jesus heals her. And we want to talk about that as well. Okay. We're going to continue our conversation. Lots of great stuff going on here. 
in the New Testament pages. Women of the New Testament is the book. My guest is Joyce Koo Dalrymple. She's the author, a leader, speaker, and a friend of the Stetzers. And so thankful to have her on the program. Again, my last program broadcasting from the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center. Thanks to the folks here for letting us use the studio as uh, soon I'll be broadcasting live from Biola University. So we continue our conversation with Joyce Koo Dalrymple in just a moment. Okay, we're back at Stetzer Live. We were talking about, well, we're actually talking about different women in the New Testament, but that's actually the title of the book, Women of the New Testament. Joyce Kuh Dalrymple's my guest. This is a pre-recorded show, so we can't take your calls, but we're having a great in-depth conversation because we have a little extra time to do that today. Okay, we were just talking about the um, uh, Syrophoenician woman, the Canaanite woman, um, and it is kind of an odd exchange that goes on here. So, um, people will ask and say, you, you didn't talk about this, so let's talk about this. So, um, so she comes to him. Um, disciples, you know, basically said, don't, don't talk to her. Um, and he says, I'm only sent for the lost sheep of Israel. And then the conversation goes on. So tell, yeah, tell us what Yeah, and he kind of compares her, it seems like on the face of it, it an insult, comparing her to a dog. Um, mm-hmm. And Jews back then referred to Gentiles as dogs. Right. So Jesus could be mirroring that back mm-hmm. to the disciples. So commentators don't, they don't agree on what this right. actually means. It's a you tricky know? passage. It's, it's a really tricky passage. But I think the way that the woman responds That's is... That's so amazing. Really amazing. So she comes right back, like, without missing a beat. She's sort of like, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. So essentially what she's saying, well, while I don't have a place at the table right now, there's more than enough um, for even what falls off of the table for me and what I need right now. Um, And she does it in a respectful way. And what I think is so, so correct about what she asserts is that she's not saying that she deserves it by her own goodness. She's saying that because of who Jesus is and his goodness, like, give me what I don't deserve. Mm -hmm. And I think that is so, um, that's so powerful as we approach Jesus for the things that we are coming to him for. Like, we may not deserve it um, based on our own goodness, but we know God's character. Um, We know he is good. And based on his character, we can keep persisting. And that persistence is rewarded here. Um, and I think that Jesus knows that he's going to heal her daughter. Right, right. It wasn't like she, he wasn't going to do it. But I think he wanted that persistence to play out maybe for the disciples, maybe even to learn something from her. Yeah. And we even now, you know, I mean, he, he ultimately says to her, your faith has, yeah. has made you whole and there's a healing that's there. Okay. So oh, I'm, I'm afraid we're going to run out of time. We've got to get to Mary Magdalene, but almost we're skipping Martha yeah. and, uh, and we're skipping Mary, uh, you know, and the whole story. Well, let's not skip. Let, let's talk just briefly okay. about his encounter with Martha and his encounter with Mary Bethany. Yeah. Well, the, the, um, focus of, you know, Martha, the, um, there's two stories about Martha right. in the Bible. There's one where she's in the kitchen and there's the other one actually, which, um, I really, um, focus on is when Lazarus dies. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, you know, Lazarus has been dead for four days and that's how you know he's really dead. Um, and Jesus finally comes. And when Martha sees him approaching, she runs to him and says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Um, but she says, even now, whatever you ask, I know the father will give it to you. So she's just faith, even in her deepest disappointment of losing her um, brother, she shows this remarkable faith. And Jesus says to her, um, you know, do you believe um, that I am the Messiah, essentially that I am the resurrection and the life? Um, and, G- and and Martha professes a very clear confession of Jesus' identity here, perhaps one of the clearest uh, professions of faith 
right here. And I kind of feel like, you know, when you see Martha's transformation from before her first, well, the first recorded um, incident of her in the kitchen, and she's kind of complaining to Jesus about Mary, and and then you see her here, you can see a remarkable transformation in her understanding of Jesus' identity and how he is the life giver. You know, um, so that's that's a transformative story as well. I re- I personally relate to Martha so yeah, much in yeah. terms of being like um, performing and doing things, serving Jesus, um, but coming to understand that Jesus is here as the life giver. Yeah. He is the resurrection, the life, the Messiah that we can even in our deepest disappointments come to him um, and ask. Love yeah. it. I want to say five minutes for Mary Magdalene, but touch on Mary Bethany. Um, Which is, of course, a sister yeah. of Martha, right? I think we did. We, t- we, we did talked we about on, yeah. her already, about how she was at Jesus' feet. Right, that's right. Um, how she's a true worshiper and a true disciple. Um, and we see that over and over again, that uh, the disciples around her, <laughs> around Jesus, the male disciples, don't really understand her. They kind of right. don't get her. Um, but what I think is so beautiful here is that um, she gives the most valuable thing, the most expensive thing, this um, alabaster jar of pure nard, which mm-hmm. probably was an heirloom. Right. And she just pours it all out for Jesus. Love it. And it shows, um, yeah, it shows what Jesus means to her um, in um, an extravagant way that others don't understand. Um, but I just, I feel like sometimes people around us may not understand our worship or what we're, what we're giving to Jesus, but it's, it's a beautiful thing. And Jesus calls it, you know, wherever the gospel is preached, this story is going to be remembered as a beautiful thing. Mm. Um, and so um, I think whatever we're, we we choose in our hearts to give Jesus, to give it with um, with this this worship, then it's going to be uh, have a beautiful fragrance, if you will, because this yeah. is a fragrant perfume, a fragrant aroma that, um, that will spread and will be attractive to others around and us. And this will not be taken away from her. She That's right. As well. Okay, so Mary right. Magdalene. Okay, now Mary Magdalene is, um, we, we know a lot more about her than most, uh, mm-hmm. but still some questions. She's mentioned 12 times in the Gospels, uh, more than most of the apostles, more than any other woman in the Gospels, um, other other than Jesus' family. Um so, but uh, we've also, you can read online, she was a prostitute. She oh, was... that was one of the misunderstandings. And I know you were going to say that to like, um, actually deliberately point out that yeah. she, it was actually a Pope, Pope Gregory. Pope, it was Pope Gregory the first. The first who yep. actually made this mistake. He confused her. Yep. Yeah. He confused her with um, this passage about the sinner from Luke chapter seven, um, which was about a former prostitute perhaps, but um, kind of made that mistake, and it kind of carried it. This it lingering just grew <laughs> and grew and grew. And um, actually, another Pope, Paul, Paul, John Paul II, had to clear her name and reinstated <laughs> her, and actually called her an apostle to the apostles um, because of what she did. And I want to get to that later, yeah. so I'll save that yeah. for um, we'll be a little bit later in our conversation. But first, I want to say that Mary Magdalene, um, she. Um, first met Jesus because he healed her yep. of seven demons. And from that moment on, she followed Jesus. Um, Luke 8, verses 1 to 3, it lists a n- number of women who followed Jesus from town to town and even financially supported their ministry. And Mary Magdalene is mentioned as one of those women. So we know that she is kind of part of the entourage um, sometimes. And this is also very radical, like, um, rabbis back then did not necessarily have female disciples. Right. They didn't teach women. But here, Jesus is teaching the women alongside the men, 
male disciples. And many of us don't know that. We just think of the 12 disciples. But there's women who are also following him. And they follow him loyal to the very end. I mean, Mary Magdalene and and some of these other women went, went all the way to the cross when most of the perhaps all the male disciples except for John deserted Jesus, right? The women were there um, until he passed away. And the women were, again, after they took his body, they saw where he was laid and they came early the next morning to do that, to to do spices for him. And that was, that was Mary. She, she was there and she was there at the very end um, at the tomb after Jesus died. Um, so I love the continuation of her story. I love it. And it's throughout the pages of Scripture and very central character as well. But again, I think I, we have to ask one of the reasons why. Why was it so easy for the church to want to spread rumors about a significant oh. woman in the New Testament? Because she's actually, I mean, Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene in in, the, in John chapter 20. Mary Magdalene tells the disciples in John chapter 20, again, a woman who's two two millennia ago couldn't even testify in court because it wouldn't be reliable yet here we are yes and that's the that's the point in my study actually right. of of Mary Magdalene is basically she um sees she's the first person to see the risen Jesus right. you know she's at the tomb weeping Peter and John have just come to investigate they leave but Mary stays there and it would have been easy for Jesus to appear to to all three of them at the same time mm-hmm. but he actually chooses to appear to Mary first and then says her name. She recognizes him when she says when he says her name. And Jesus commissions her to be the first evangelist, if you will, to of his resurrected, his resurrection, and says, Go tell your brothers. So she is the first one. That's why she's called the apostle to the apostles. She's the first one to tell um, the disciples that Jesus has risen. She was the messenger to them. And it's uh, it's actually, you, you quote Carla Zazueta mm-hmm. saying, no Jewish historian wanting to fabricate a story would have chosen women as the primary witnesses. She goes on to write, God operates in a fascinating ways, elevating the perceived weak and frivolous nature of women to that of valor, bringing honor to women and glory to God. What do you hope when people read this book they'll take away from these women in the New Testament? You know, I hope they'll see how courageous and full of faith these women are, that they do break social norms. They are gifted and anointed. We didn't talk about my last session, but that's like on Romans 16 about the women who are part of the the book of Romans. Yeah, Yeah. part of the early church. They partnered with with Paul and all of that. And, And so you can see that they play pivotal roles from the very beginning of Jesus's ministry throughout his ministry and to the establishment of the early church. And I just want to use it as an encouragement that, you know, if you're questioning like I did, um, whether God can use you, um, whether he has gifted and called you, I want to say, just look in the pages of scripture. It's all there. The women have been there and they will, they continue to do so in the church today. And, um, and this is a message I think that can encourage women in whatever whatever you're facing, um, that Jesus sees you, that he has empowered you, and that he is with you. Women in the New Testament, Joyce Kudal Rimple, thanks for listening to this. That's her live.